Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. So let's jump back into the uh, book of Exodus this morning, uh, if we can. We've discussed, we're talking about, um, if you remember, we're talking about right now the plagues that God sent against Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt. And so I've been talking about the um, nine plagues collectively, just kind of pointing out some general things about the nine plagues before we deal specifically with the one plague in particular, the last plague. And so we've talked about the, the purpose of the plagues, that God used the plagues, uh, not again, not to coerce or convince Pharaoh, uh, but to demonstrate his power um, in, uh, to the Egyptians and to Israel as well, to the world. So we talked about the purpose of the plagues. We talked about Pharaoh's reaction to the plagues and how he hardened his heart um, against God. This morning, uh, what I want to do is I want to point out uh, one other thing about the plagues in general before we turn our attention and we talk about the last plague in particular. And it is a feature that um, is, is introduced with the fourth plague, which is the swarm, swarms of flies. And so I want to read about it this morning. In uh, Exodus, there's something unique about this plague, or at least beginning with this plague, that I want to highlight this morning. And so I want us to read uh, together Exodus chapter 8. Hope that you have your Bibles um, open. Read along uh, as I read Exodus chapter 8, beginning in verse number 20, okay? Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. Look at verse 22. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into, the, his, and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this, your word. God, I believe that um, you have a a specific word, a message, God, that you want to communicate to your people this morning. So, Lord, I'm just praying for your anointing and asking that, God, you'll help me to be able to communicate it effectively today, God. Father, we pray that you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us, bind in any hindrance or any distraction. God, give us the faith that we need, Lord, to believe. And, Lord, if there's anybody that is wandering away from you, God, anyone who has not yet believed on the good news of Jesus Christ, speak to their hearts, Lord, this morning. Draw them unto yourself, God. And Father, we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as I've been preaching about uh, these plagues, um, the last couple of messages that I've preached, I've tried to emphasize a theme 
regarding these plagues that sometimes gets overlooked as we read about the the various disasters that God sends upon Pharaoh and sends upon Egypt. And that theme is the mercy of God. The mer- Sometimes it's hard to see the mercy of God when, when we're looking at all of these different plagues, these terrible things that are happening in the land of Egypt. Uh, and by the way, uh, let me tell you, you know, there's some people that it's, it's hard for them to see in any of the Old Testament God's mercy. But listen, if you read God's word, if you really look at the Old Testament, in, in the Old Testament, some people say the Old Testament God in the Old Testament is a God of wrath and a God of judgment. How many knows he's the same God? He, God doesn't change. He's not a different God in the New Testament than he is in the Old Testament. In, in the Old Testament, God is a God of mercy and compassion and a God of love. Can I get an amen this morning? So, It's important that when you're reading about these things that you understand that God is a God of mercy. It's sometimes hard maybe to see that, but if you look with a right perspective and if you see God for who he is and what he is doing, then you're you're able to see his mercy. It's it's apparent in the Old Testament, and it's apparent um, in, in these plagues as well. I've been trying to emphasize that to you the last couple of messages, the, the mercy of God in the midst of these plagues that he sends upon Egypt and Pharaoh. For instance, we've seen God's mercy on several occasions through these plagues as he, as he relented from his wrath and as he removed uh, a plague when when Pharaoh would plead with Moses, remember Pharaoh would say to Moses, hey, plead with your God and ask him to remove this from us. And so Moses would go apart and Moses would actually intercede for Pharaoh and actually intercede for Egypt and God would relent. He would withdraw the plague. And so we've seen the God's merciful, even although we know that Pharaoh's heart was hard and Pharaoh's heart was insincere, God is a compassionate and a merciful God. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Also, we've seen God's, uh, we have been able to see God's mercy more clearly when, when we compared it to the severity of God's judgment. God is a just God and his justice demands that sin uh, receive wrath and punishment. So when we compare God's mercy to the severity of his judgment, we're we're able to see God's mercy. In truth, remember I've made the point that we all deserve God's wrath. We all deserve God's judgment because the Bible makes it very clear that none of us are perfect, that none of us are, are righteous. And so we all deserve God's wrath and God's punishment, but hallelujah, we are able to avoid God's wrath when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's the severity of his judgment that highlights um, the quality of his mercy and his grace. And we see the best illustration of God's mercy in this passage. And, um, and in the passages, others like it in the following chapters where God puts a division or he makes a distinction between his people and the people of Egypt. So he makes a, 
He makes a difference. He puts a distinction between his people and the people of Egypt. Specifically, we are told here in the fourth uh, plague, and then also in the fifth plague, and then in the seventh and in the ninth plague, that God made a specific distinction between the Hebrews and the Egyptians. So here in plague number four, God sent swarms of flies against the Egyptians and in their homes. And, but the Bible says, but not, he made a distinction. He put a, a, a divide and he said, not in the homes of, of the Hebrews. How many of you, you get, uh, maybe not like me, I, uh, but I get irritated when one fly gets in my house. And I, I mean, sometimes I obsess about one fly that's in my house. I've offered my kids money. If you can track down and kill that one fly, I'll give you, it's not been much. It's been a quarter maybe or so, but uh, I get obsessed. Can you imagine swarms of flies in your house? Um, but God says, but this time, plague number four, this is the first time that that distinction is made. He said, I'm going to make a distinction between my people and the people of Egypt. And I'm going to send swarms of flies against the Egyptians. Then in the fifth, um, in the fifth plague, which is pestilence on the livestock, um, God sent a disease. He sent pestilence against all of the livestock of the Egyptians. And yet he made a distinction between the livestock of the Egyptians and the livestock of uh, the descendants of Jacob, and none of the livestock of the descendants of Jacob died because God spared them. He made a distinction between his people and the people of Egypt. Then in the, what is the seventh plague? The seventh plague is a plague of hail. Remember, God sent hail against the land of Egypt. And in fact, in that plague in particular, he gave an opportunity for the Egyptians. He said, now listen, I'm going to send plague and it's going to destroy your crops. It's going to destroy your livestock. But if you want your livestock to be spared, then bring your livestock inside of your homes and they will be spared. And even some of the Egyptians were spared from that plague, at least the death of their livestock that remained from uh, from hell because they listened to, they obeyed the word of God. But the Bible specifically says there was hell in the land of Egypt, but there was no hell in the land of uh, the, the Hebrew children, in the land of Goshen, no hell whatsoever. He made, God made a distinction between his people and the people of Egypt. And then in the ninth plague, the plague of darkness, the Bible says that God sent a darkness for three days, a darkness, the kind that could be felt, have now, has anybody ever felt darkness? I've, the closest I've come to feeling darkness before was I remember going with my dad when I was very, a little fella. We went down into this cavern. In the mountains of Virginia, there's all kinds of caverns. And so we went, I don't know if it was Dixie Caverns or Luray Caverns or wherever it was. We went down into the bottom of this cavern and uh, the tour guide took us down there and said, now we're at the absolute lowest point of this cavern. And if, um, so if I turn off the light, he says, there ab there's absolutely no light that penetrates at this level. He says, so I want you to take each other by the hand. He said, because some people get disoriented when it gets this dark. Take one another by the hand. He said, and for a second, I'm going to cut off the light. And he said, I'm going to let your eyes adjust a little bit and let you feel what absolute darkness feels like. And he turned off the light and... And I could almost 
I mean, I guess I could say I almost felt that darkness because it was so oppressive. I mean, it was not a trace of light. And it was, and it, was it was disorienting. And thankfully, he clicked the light back on, and thankfully, the light came back on when he clicked the light back on. And, and let, that's the closest I've ever come to feeling that kind of darkness. But God's, God's word says God made a distinction between his people and the people of Egypt because in the land of Goshen, they had light in the land. Of, in their homes, they had light. So from those instances, um, in fact, I believe that it's safe to infer that all uh, the, the descendants of Israel were spared from all of the remaining plagues from plague four uh, forward because it's clear that God put that from that point forward, God put a distinction. He, he made a division between his people and the people of Egypt. Um, he made not only among the people, but the Bible says that he, he made a distinction between their possessions their livestock, and, and the possessions of the people of Egypt. He, he made a difference, a distinction between the two. And then also that he made a distinction. He put a division between the place where his people dwell, the land of Goshen, and the rest of Egypt. And so all of the remaining plagues were visited among the, uh, on the, the people or the possessions or the place of the Egyptians, and God spared his people. He made a division. He put a distinction on his. The point is that from the fourth plague forward, God set his people apart from the rest of Egypt and he showed his people mercy and grace. <laughs> Aren't you glad for that? He, he made a distinction. He said, now from this point forward, I'm going to show mercy and grace to my people. The rest of the plague is going to be visited on the Egyptians, on their possessions, on their place where they live. But my people, I'm going to make a distinction. And I'm going to spare them. I'm going to show mercy uh, to them. And that's, that's what Paul refers to when he is making his case about salvation in Romans chapter 9. Do you remember we read Romans, part of Romans chapter 9 a couple of weeks ago? It says, so then God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. God set his people apart from the rest of the Egyptians, and he determined, I'm going to show mercy to my people. I'm going to visit wrath upon the Egyptians, but I'm going to show my people mercy and grace. We read that entire passage last time from Romans chapter 9, but let me repeat this part uh, from Romans chapter 9, where Paul is actually quoting the prophet Hosea. Okay, he says, this is verses 25 and 26 in Romans chapter 9. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. What's God doing? He's making a distinction. He's saying, those that were not my people, I'm going to call them my people. And, who, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? What is Paul describing there? Well, he's, he's describing us. He's describing those who have been saved by 
grace. That God has set us apart in order to demonstrate mercy and show us grace in, in our life. Just as God set apart the descendants of Israel in the land of Egypt and he showed them mercy, God has, listen to me this morning, God has in these last days, he has set apart a people for himself. He has set apart a people which he has chosen to be his own people and to whom he has chosen to show mercy and, and grace. This is the same remnant that God, has, that God has always had, that remnant who are being saved not by any merit of their own. Listen, God didn't set apart Israel. God didn't choose Israel because there was something special about Israel. No, he chose Israel out of, his, out of his own grace and out of his own kindness. And he saved them by his, or he is saving them by his grace. God has chosen us, not because of we have any merit, not because of anything that we have, have done, but it is only by God's grace alone that we have been saved. Amen? And so God has set us apart in order that he might show us mercy. So this is that same remnant that God has always had. Now, however, the Bible says it includes not only those who were descendants of Israel by birth, but also those who are descendants of Israel by rebirth. How many of you have been born again? Say amen. If you are born again, then you are the child of Abraham. You are a descendant of the child of promise. And so you are a part of that remnant that God is, has chosen for himself, that remnant that he is saving by his grace, that remnant he has chosen to show mercy. He has set you apart to show you mercy. That means that we, listen, if you believe on Jesus Christ, you have trusted in him as your Savior and your Lord, then that means that we, who were not his people, he now calls my people. That we, who were not beloved, he now calls beloved. Aren't you glad that you are the beloved of the Lord, that we who were, listen, formerly enemies of God, now we are called sons of the living God. Friends, that is amazing grace. That is amazing grace. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses elaborates on that special relationship that God established here in Exodus when he set his people apart. Moses elaborates on that relationship that God has with his people in this way. He says, this is Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Isn't that beautiful? God has chosen you. Moses is saying to Israel, when God sets you apart, 
when God spoke to Abraham and when God spoke to Isaac and Jacob, God was choosing you. He set you apart as a people for himself to be his treasured possession, a people to whom he was going to show mercy and grace, not because of any merit of your own, but because he is a good and a gracious God. And then the New Testament makes it clear that that, that, that privilege of being God's priority people, that that privilege now includes those who may not be Jews, but nonetheless they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Paul says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for not just Jews, but bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify, listen, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous to do good works. You are God's chosen possession. Amen? God has chosen us by his grace. And then Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and we're maybe more familiar with this passage. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank God. God, that we are God's own people, that he has chosen us by his grace, and he has determined to show us mercy because of his love and his compassion for us. By grace, God has chosen to show mercy to those who believe and, and to set them apart as his own treasured possession so that, he, so that there might be a distinction, so that there might be a distinction between those who belong to him and those who do not. But what does it, what does it mean to be set apart in this way? Well, the verses that I've just read suggest several things, but let me let me categorize what it means to be set apart, to be God's own chosen possession under three uh, main points, all right? Number one, it simply means to be chosen by God, to be set apart by God means we shall be saved. We shall be saved. <laughs> if God has chosen us, we've placed our faith in, in Jesus Christ and God has made a promise to each and every one of us that he will not lose us, he will not forsake us, we shall be saved. 
I said, we shall be saved. What I need is an amen track up there. <laughs> we, God has made that promise to us. We shall be saved. If, if we are God's people, if, if he has chosen us, we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, this depends on God. It doesn't depend on me. God said, you, you will be saved. That's what he said to Israel. You're my chosen possession, and I'm going to bring you out. Remember, we talked about that. I'm going to bring you out of the land of, of Egypt. Make no mistake about it. I am going to deliver my people. And God has made that same promise to each and every one of us. We shall be saved. That's what Paul talks about in Titus. Our, what are we looking forward to now? Our blessed hope. When Jesus Christ himself will descend from heaven, that's our hope. We know because we have this assurance from God that when we trust in Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And so we're looking for that day when Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to take us out of this place. This world is not our home. Can you say amen? That we should be working and, and serving and doing in this world. The Bible says, blessed is the one who God finds doing when he does come. But I'm letting you know that one day Jesus Christ is going to come. And so I'm not going to hold on too tightly to the things of this world. Because when Jesus Christ comes, I'm going to go with him. Because he's going to save me from this present age. Amen? So we shall be in being a part of that chosen generation, being a part of God's people, the distinction that God has uh, placed upon us, being set apart for God means we shall be saved. The second of all, it also means that we shall be spared. We shall be spared. Now, the, the obvious takeaway from reading about the plagues is that God spared his people from the plagues that he sent upon the land and the people of Egypt. Or at least he spared them from seven of those plagues. God, in fact, I think it's important to point out God, God did not spare them from all of them. Heaven knows that it does, um, it does sometimes rain on the just and the unjust. I mean, that's not... Um, not necessarily scripture, but it's true nonetheless, that it does. We do suffer. God doesn't spare us from all injustice and all suffering. In fact, the Bible says um, many are the afflictions of the righteous. However, I want you to listen to the context of that verse, which is actually is found in Psalm 34. So just listen as I read it. So you'll understand the context. Dave, uh, in that psalm, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. God doesn't spare us from all affliction. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but, <laughs> but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Yeah, God doesn't spare us from all affliction and all trouble, but he does promise, but I'll deliver you out of them all. Let me keep on reading. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness will be condemned. The Lord redeems 
the life, a life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So, yeah, it is true that the righteous sometimes suffer. However, God has promised to deliver the righteous out of all of our afflictions. Sometimes he delivers us from afflictions. Aren't you glad when God does that? He says, I'm not even going to make you go through that. I'm going to deliver you from that affliction. So sometimes he delivers us from affliction. Sometimes he delivers us out of um, affliction. There's no doubt that God does spare us from many trials and many tribulations. How many knows that's true? I look back on my life and I say, God, <laughs> you're a good God. You're a gracious, heavenly Father. There's so many times that I, I deserve this and I deserve that. But God, you're so merciful and kind, gracious and good that you spared me from all of those afflictions, all of those troubles, all of the things that I brought upon myself because of your compassion and your love for me, you said, no, I'm, I'm going to spare you from that affliction and that trouble. Aren't you glad that God, sometimes he spares us from affliction? But it's also true that there's no doubt that God does allow us to go through some trials and some tribulations. But here's the wonderful thing about it. He protects us during those trials. Psalm 34 says, um, Psalm 34 says, uh, he keeps all of his bones, not one of them will be broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate righteousness will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Verse 22 says that the Lord redeems the life of his servants. That's, listen, that's the key. Even in affliction, there remains for the child of God a redemptive purpose, a redemptive nature. That is, that means that there is, there is always some good purpose in every trouble and every trial in the believer's life. Now listen, I'm drawing a distinction. It's an important distinction. Would you agree? In the believer's life, there is some good purpose that that trouble or that trial is serving in, in our life. In fact, the Bible says that if we will take refuge in him, if we'll take refuge in the Lord, we will not be condemned. Whereas for the wicked, now Psalm 34 holds no hope for the wicked. It makes a distinction between those who belong to the Lord and those who don't belong to the Lord. Whereas for the wicked... There is no redemptive purpose. Verse 21 says, affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. So we see that that's how God worked during the plagues. In fact, God allowed his people to suffer to an extent, right? But only to an extent. God had some good purpose and allowing his people to endure those first three plagues. Perhaps 
It was so that they might gain the same kind of appreciation and understanding that the Lord, he is God. That he is God. Um, nevertheless, from that point forward, the Bible says they were set apart. And they were spared from the majority of the plagues, beginning with that fourth plague. And incidentally, the fourth plague is the first plague of which it is said that the land was ruined as a result of the plague. Did you catch that? God sent swarms of flies against the land of the Egyptians, not against God's people, not the land of Goshen. And the Bible says, and the land was ruined because of the swarm of, of flies. God's, God's purpose in any problem that he allows into the life of the lives of his people. Listen to me this morning. God's purpose in any problem in your life is never to ruin you. It is never to harm you. But his purpose is always to redeem you and to do good to you. You may be going through a trial right now. This morning you may be embroiled in some affliction or some trouble in your life. And I want you to know this morning, listen, would you listen to me this morning? <laughs> you are God's prized possession. You are God's prized possession. He has set you apart for himself. Not, not because you deserve it. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. <laughs> Not, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, just because he's merciful and because he's gracious and because he's good and because he's kind. And he loves you. He loves you, and that means that he will not allow the affliction that you're going through this morning. He will not allow it to ruin you. He has promised that he will save you. He's promised that he will spare you. And right now, right now he is protecting you. Right now he, he is preserving you. He will preserve you through this trouble and through this trial if you will just trust in him. If you'll just trust, take your refuge in him. He loves you. Take Take refuge in him and he will give you shelter. And you will, you will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Isn't that good? Listen, he will deliver. Let's, let's just continue that, all right, from Psalm 91. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness nor the destruction that wastes in the noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not 
come near to you. Anybody hearing this this morning? This is, this is God's word. It's his promise to spare you. You will only look, the Bible says, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. But because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Can I get an amen this morning? For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. And the Lord says, and when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Thus says the Lord. Amen. That's God's promise to his people. When he sets you apart as his own possession, it means you will be saved. It means that you will be spared. God will spare you. What does it mean to be set apart as God's own? You'll be saved, you'll be spared, and then finally, you will be sanctified. You will be set apart for his glory. God set Israel apart to save them, um, to spare them, but he also saved them and he spared them so that they might be a people through whom he could show the rest of the world his grace and his glory. Through, through the series of the ten plagues, not only did the Egyptians come to know that God was the most high God, not only did they come to know that he was the all-powerful, uncontested God of all creation, but the Egyptians also came to understand that the Hebrews were his people and that because they were his people, because they enjoyed a special relationship with, with God. They were spared from uh, the tragedy that was visited upon them. I mentioned this before, but by the seventh plague, remember, hail, many Egyptians had already begun to fear God. They already knew, hey, this is God. He's, he, is, he is the most high God. Not only had they begun to fear God, uh, when they were given the opportunity, they obeyed the words of Moses, his warning uh, to them. To be sure, now listen, uh, I don't want to oversell this this morning. To be sure, many other Egyptians and maybe probably most of the other Egyptians resented the Hebrews. They remained hostile to uh, the Hebrews. However, as, we, as we'll see later on by the final plague, the Hebrews and Moses in particular had earned the admiration, if not the outright allegiance of many of the Egyptians. Because when, when the Hebrews leave, they give them gold and rings. And we'll talk more about that later. But by that point, the Egyptians had been convicted of their own wickedness. They had been convinced of God's righteousness. How? By witnessing the distinction that God placed upon the Hebrews. It was, it was not that the Hebrews were by nature better than the Egyptians. It wasn't that they 
drove better cars and had bigger houses. I mean, those, that's not what attracted them to the Hebrews. That's not what attracts people to Christians. It's not that we are richer or that we're smarter or any of those things. That's, that's not the point. They were attracted to the Hebrews because they knew that they were the people of God, that they enjoyed a special relationship uh, with God. So it wasn't that they were by nature better than the Egyptians. In fact, they had been considered detestable <laughs> by the Egyptians. It was only by virtue of the fact that they saw and they witnessed that God had set his people apart and that to them and through them, God demonstrated his grace and his mercy. And it was then that the Egyptians began to change their opinion of the Hebrews and they began to hold them in high regard because they recognized, hey, they're God. He is God. They are his people. And I want to leave you with this this morning. It's in that same way that God, for that same reason, that God sets us apart also. Sure to save us, to spare us. Those promises are ours through Jesus Christ. But he sets us apart so that in us and so that through us, God might demonstrate his grace and he might display his glory to the world which is why Jesus said to his disciples, do you remember this? He said to them, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. And in the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Mike, would you come to the piano? God has made us the light of the world. He has set us apart. He has chosen us. Listen, it's not because you're so smart or so, so great. It's not, but let me just say it this way. It's not because I'm smart or I'm great that God chose me. <laughs> In fact, Paul says to the church, he said, listen, some of you were not all that, right? Some of you were not all that. You weren't smart. You weren't rich. You weren't famous. But God chose you. And it's in you and through you that God wants to demonstrate his grace and his glory. He chose you, and now he loves you. You are his prized possession and he wants to show you mercy and he's going to pour out grace upon you because he loves you. And just because he wants to show you off to the world. He just wants to show what a difference his grace can make in a person's life. He just wants to show what a difference Jesus Christ can make in the heart and the life of a person who will give themselves completely to him. You are the light of the world. You remember I said the last plague, well, not the last plague, but the last plague before the last plague. Nine. It was what? It was a plague of darkness, remember? And so the Bible says that for three days, the Egyptians sat in absolute abject darkness. Now, 
There's a lot of symbolism, and I don't have time to go into a lot of all of it this, this morning. But first of all, that, that was symbolic of what? It was symbolic of the three days and the three nights that Jesus spent in the tomb, right? In darkness, <laughs> waiting. The world, world was waiting for Jesus to be raised from the dead. But, but the thing I want to pull out this morning and emphasize is what? All, all of Israel, all of the children of Israel, what? They had light. They had light. I want you to tell, I want to tell you, uh, you know this. You don't need me to tell you this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> this world is filled with darkness. It's, and friends, the world grows, it seems, darker and darker by the day. But you are the light of the world. God has set you apart so that through you and in you, he can display his grace and his glory. Let your light shine before all of the world so that the world who is in abject darkness can look at your life and say, your God has made a difference in your life. Your God, He is God. He is God. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.